0: Welcome to FFB Business Talk. My name is Lynette Ndooley and I look forward to spending time with you to help us all navigate into the new normal. This morning I'm delighted to be joined by Stefan Stein of Business Rescue Partner, who has more than two decades worth of experience.
1: Thank you so much. It's such a privilege to be on the show. I'm very thankful.
0: Stefan, tell us a a little bit about how business rescue law and practice was promulgated in South Africa and what exactly one has to then go through to get to a point where I end up sitting across a desk from you.
1: Business rescue, it was definitely a bold move by our government. The law was promulgated in 2011. Um, Before that, there was something called the judicial management process which was very much the insolvency law and wasn't very successful. A lot of um, countries all over the world and very much so in in the U.S., so something that's very known as Chapter 11. Something similar was promulgated by um, our country, and it's called Chapter 6. And it's very much a process whereby there is a halt put on everybody around the company. All the stakeholders are are asked to stand back for a business rescue practitioner to be appointed, whereby he looks and evaluates to see if there is a reasonable prospect for the business to be saved. Now, when is a business rescue uh, in a situation where you will know whether you need to be saved? It's any time that you cannot pay your creditors as they become due. And it even goes a bit further in in saying that you need to be able to foresee that you can be operational and pay your debts in the foreseeable six months. It's called the the, the commercial definition of insolvency. There's been about 3,400 applications of business rescues since it started. And of those business rescues that have been started – The 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 act, if one would say, has the act had a success rate? And um, uh, ourselves at Business Rescue Partner, um, with my colleagues, we've defined you know what is um, how how successful has the act been? Because the act can't tell you how to increase your turnover or how to run the business better. It only gives you the framework. We have a a calculation whereby we we can foresee that the the act has been been successful sixty five percent. And of that, substantial success, which means the business is carrying on, is 20%, which is fantastic.
0: What have you seen was the difference between a process that worked and one that didn't work in line with the attitude and the understanding of the entrepreneur affected by this process?
1: I think an entrepreneur is a eternal optimist, otherwise he wouldn't be. Uh, they risk-takers. So, Unfortunately, many, many times, a lot of entrepreneurs have this uh, ostrich mentality where they put their head in the sand and hope it all flies off um, or the next big sale is going to save the company or the next big uh, deal is going to save the business. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, many times, if the entrepreneur is not allowing himself to be advised, or he only likes to hear what he wants to hear, because an entrepreneur can okay. surround himself with accountants and lawyers and 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 people like that to tell him what he wants to hear to boost his ego, and a lot of people don 't have the real conversations with him now and, and a business rescue practitioner needs to be independent, so he he has to have that real conversation as to where the business is at and where what it looks like what it 's going to be, for instance. You know, a business that doesn't file a, a, a VAT return and SARS starts to become indebted to SARS is normally an indication something bigger is happening because many, many times the VAT cycle is used by ourselves to determine how soon is the end and where a business starts using the, the money of SARS to fund itself, then you're already on very critical ground. So, any client listening to the show should ask themselves how are they doing with regards to this their SARS submissions with regards to VAT and the VAT payments That is indication one. There are other softer indications a business that has a uh, let's say family business where it's not a multiple shareholders, and most of our small and medium enterprises are family business or, or one owner business. the softer issues like for instance a key staff that are resign, something like a divorce could, could be an issue. Another issue could be, for instance, the the makeup of the family, an additional family member. The reason why I say, I say this is that a lot of small businesses, owners, they live out of the business. For instance, let's say you start a family. If you're starting a family and you foresee yourself having three children. The business needs to fund it. How much extra sales must you must you do? No, a lot of people don't think about it. And they don't do their family planning as to how, well, how, how does this influence the business. If you ask a business owner, um, listen, uh, what's wrong with the business? No, the business is not a good business. Why is it not a good business? No, it's not making money. If you dissect that business and you take out the living expenses of that person, you see, but listen, if I was just a pure investor and I just employed someone to do your job I wouldn't need to to have a 150,000 net profit I could pay someone 50,000 and have 100,000 left which means that business valued is a 3 million rand business which has got a lot of value so why are you saying this is not a good business it might not be a good business for you because of where you are in your life cycle entrepreneurs they need, to, they need to re-look at their situation every seven years because a lot of entrepreneurs, and I've seen this many, many times, and I've done many, many business rescues over the time, they lose energy or they, they get involved in other things. Uh, the business starts to get bore, boring for them. They start employing people to do what they should be doing. And those people, you know, no one, no one wakes up in the morning saying, listen, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to make profit for my boss. They don't. They just don't do that. Um, If if every entrepreneur had to think about all their staff members and say, how many of them are actually looking forward to coming to work? How many of them actually want to make a difference? A lot of the times, if if you're not engaged with them, they're not going to be engaged with you. And there the spiral starts. And a lot of our entrepreneurs are not asked them, They don't do mentoring or have coaching and all that because they normally feel that they they are uh, on the top of their empire. You know that um, sometimes they don't want to take advice of um, from other people. Something uh, that, that struck me um, listening to the Five M uh, conversation that you had with Kathy Goddard is that you know a lot of women uh, saving a business where women is. Uh, is is that the lead is is actually easier because they do take advice and they do want to make changes. Sometimes it's a it's it's a, a clout to to the men's ego and to all men that you know they the, they don't want to have uh, the advice or take it take it and do something about it.
0: As we move on, you also raised a really interesting point around valuations and how value in a business is determined, both from an objective perspective, but also perhaps an entrepreneur's own subjective experience of what is going on. How do you set up the basis to start saying, okay, this is how I'm going to track whether I'm building an assets of value or not? Can you give us some insights on that?
1: Lynette, these are my personal views. So... I'm going to share with you and I'm more than willing to debate with the academics on on these views. What I see is, for instance, the IDC, the Industrial Development Corporation, which is government uh, funded, they have certain aspects with regards to how they fund businesses and what means to them. And there are certain figures running around as to how much does a job cost so, for instance, let's say I'm a, a person, I'm the only one working there. That job to our government, to our social system, costs. Let's be the conser- Let's work on the conservative figure of IDC, 250,000 Rand. So, that 250,000 Rand's value, because just think about it. When you start a job, you've thought about that job, you've put in place um, processes, you've put in place networks, you've made relationships, all that is not in the books. It's not capitalized. Now, uh, your banker would say, yes, it's, it's capitalized through your cash flow, but your cash flow is after I've taken my yeah. life expenses. So I normally say, yes, but may- maybe you should add that back. Let's just hold that. So let's say you've got 10 employees. 10 employees, the social value of that business is 2.5 million. Nowhere it's that this is mentioned. A company, let's have a hundred employees. That the social value of that company is then huge. So though, that type of valuation is what I think the act is trying to reconcile with the, the capitalist market. Now the capitalist market would look at how much is the net profit. These businesses sometimes are making losses. But the losses also need to be seen as where are they in their life cycle. Every business has a life cycle. And it could be that you are just just on the verge of making very good profits. And those type of um, valuations aren't done. Entrepreneurs very rarely look at their accounts. They normally say to their accountant, um, do my books, and they don't see any value in it. Most uh, small, small and medium businesses, they only want to know how much tax they have to pay. And uh, if the bank needs the financials, they'll give it to them. And it's normally three to four months old. And there's very, very little value in it. I sometimes ask myself, I wonder if the bank, if they had ever had to ask, a, 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 create a, a statement, um, keeping into mind where they are in their life cycle and try and determine, you know, add something that to the, to the business. It, I think it would be quite an interesting study. But a lot of entrepreneurs underestimate the value of their business, and what it means to save them. Now, coming to the point in the softer issues of starting a company, if an entrepreneur, and this is also my personal view, is very narcissistic, there's a very slight chance of the business being rescued, unfortunately. Because a business is a system with many stakeholders and the synergies between them, it's normally a collective effort in saving a business. And a business that fails, most of the the times, there's a very good reason that the business should fail and we should actually leave it to fail. It's better for the economy in certain certain instances that the business does fail. It's best for everyone. So not every business should be rescued.
0: Can you then take us sort of step by step about How you start that process, how long you stay with the business, and then do you walk away once you've determined that it is valuable or not, and then you've helped the business do the turnaround, or is there now ongoing support that makes sure that the business doesn't find itself in the same position within a year or two after your intervention?
1: I can only speak with regards to business rescue partner and and my colleagues and our and our ethos with regards to to this. We take on business rescues that we've evaluated first. So we try and see if there's going to be a fit with uh, with ourselves, whether we can be successful in rescuing the business. Once we become the rescue practitioner. We make a decision as to with whom we're going to do it. I myself don't do single business rescues. I only do joint rescues with another practitioner. The reason being is because of the stress and the emotional uh, draining of a business rescue. If you are the only person carrying all these emotional issues, it can drain you. So... We normally decide whom we're going to do it, so we look at my uh, skill set or my partner's skill set, and we link them up with a complementary skill set. So I have more financial and operational skill set, so I I would normally um, link up with someone who's very strong with legal. If it's a manufacturing entity or someone like an engineer, and the TMA SA is very good in in collating these set of skills, and um, I've found them very useful in engaging and network working with them to get to the other to find the other skill sets like in construction, someone with a civil engineering background. Um, uh, entrepreneurs need to try and look and, and and match getting the practitioner to to their type of industry. It's quite a. It's it, I think that's your first step, uh, choosing the right practitioner, then engaging it. You know there are some business rescue practitioners who run ten to twelve rescues, and I'm thinking to myself. My word, how do you do that? Rescue, you can't do from your office in Johannesburg. You can't do it. You have to be involved. You need to understand um, what's going on, the processes. So we are very much a hands-on, involved story. And what we do is we collect data. We've developed some processes whereby we collect a magnitude of data. We We have a data analyst that starts looking at what the business is telling us. That's not on the financial statements. And then we start seeing how we can fix it. Now, fixing a business, and I think your listeners would would enjoy knowing what specifically we look at. We look at sales, less cost of sales, which will give you your gross profit. We then deduct your property costs, everything to do with where you are. Because you're at this premises, this is the cost that I have. We deduct those costs, and we also deduct all the labor costs and relate labor related costs excluding myself and family so if you deduct those costs you get to a figure that figure divided by your turnover if that turnover and that ratio that percentage ratio is more than 15% there's a very good chance we can save that business if it's less than that we have a business model problem because a practitioner will not be able to increase your turnover he doesn't know that he's not a marketer However, it could be, and this is not, you know, you can't say this is the general law for everyone. In many cases, it could be that there, there was a COVID or a natural disaster or something happened, uh, legislation or something, whereby you could get it back to 15% and above, but you just need some breathing space. Those I would add to the pot that we can rescue. In the process we are very committed in working with the management. We need to understand management because sometimes there could be internal internal problems. Let shareholders fighting, managers fighting and we need to see who there is going to be against the company. Sometimes people want the company to fail and you have to be, you know, you have to talk about the elephant in the room. So we have to find those people who who want the business to fail and try and get them out. But let's say we've done all that. We do a plan. We try and raise the finance to keep it sustainable. And before we leave, we normally leave them with a, a balanced scorecard. Um, every business is very unique. So we build a balanced scorecard and we leave it with them and we come back to them y- uh, year after year, to say, listen, what is the balance scorecard telling you? And we try and transfer the skills of interpreting the balance scorecard. And because you've spent so much time with the management and you've shown them that the balance scorecard is a very good tool to try and understand your, your business's health, if they implement that, they won't need you again.
0: The team now comes together and the team is, is, is your team and not the business's team. Is that correct?
1: Yes, very much so. The reason being is because you don't know whether you can trust everybody on that team. Because of human nature, people don't submit reports on Fridays or in certain instances, maybe on a Monday. People learn what's in, what the boss wants to hear. They will use the timing of certain issues and then report when when times are good. So a lot of people don't even know what's going on in their business because the people that's under them is is telling them what they want to hear. All people do not want conflict. So every day, everyone wakes up and says to himself, how will I survive this day? And he says, all right, I don't want conflict. I don't want to do a lot. And if I do a lot, I want affirmation for it. Any person, doesn't matter who they are, where they are in the structure, that's how it's gonna, that's how it's gonna be. So if you look at the reporting processes in any business, so we create our own. We start and said, listen, let's forget about all the reports that you have. Let's generate new ones and see what information we get. That's why it's very critical at Business Rescue Partner that we have our own full-time data analyst, that we design the data that we want to collect. And we say, and then we sit and say, what is this data t- telling us? Why is the absentee rate increased 20% in the last four months? What could that be? So looking at things that the, manage- the, the owners don't look at, we just, all we try and do and leave them with, that's what that balance scorecard's about, teaching them how to, in, how to get the data and read the data. Businesses think, if I'm the owner, I only have a responsibility to m- me and my family, that is a very short-sighted view, viewpoint, and we try and also leave the business. And say, listen, you have got to understand your business as a as a system, an open system. It'll it's never a closed system. It's an open, it interacts with people. It pays people so that they can pay uh, school fees. You need to understand your role in society. You need to have you need to be a good business to be worth saving. Then one feels good because listen, you could save a business. That is not good for society. Uh, A business that rips people off and doesn't treat their employees well. You might give them a legal breather because it's a legal process. You could stop a creditor or a bank from from getting their assets and use the law. But, you know, maybe you should let it go.
0: How many practitioners do we have in the country? And of the practitioners, um, many like yourself, how many actually specifically also focus on smaller, perhaps younger businesses as well?
1: With regards to the question of how many business rescue practitioners there are, uh, a couple of years ago, I did know that answer. I have not looked at at, uh, the CIPC website lately. Um, as to how many registrations, but it's on there. I belong. I belong to three bodies that um, that can get you into the business rescue uh, industry: Cyper, CERIPA and um, uh, TMA SA. TMA SA, for me personally, just my personal viewpoint, is probably the strongest entity with regards to this subject matter because it's not just about business rescue. It's you know you want to actually turn around the business before it gets to rescue. So the turnaround space is very much more confined and the skill sets at the TMAs, very much fits our ethos and and that which we, the partnership uh, uh, feeling or the partnership idea um, that we're trying to create. With regards to um, the businesses, you get three types of rescue practitioners. You get a junior practitioner, an experienced and a senior practitioner. Um, a junior practitioner, is someone who's starting off with just five years' experience, it's someone, someone that's young, they are the people who are allowed to do business rescues with a public interest score of below 100. Now, that, this is now a technical thing. Well, what is a public interest score and how does it calculate it? For every, turno, for every 1 million rands worth of turnover, it's one point. For every employee, it's one point. And for every million rand in debt, it's also one point. And also the shareholding, so if you have a one man owned business of um, five million turnover and three million rands worth of debt uh, or ten employees, you'd be fall under a hundred public interest score points, and then you you are able to get a junior practitioner now the higher you get from a hundred to three fifty, that is an experienced practitioner and Above 350 is a senior business rescue practitioner. Their fees are also different. Their fees are a junior practitioner charges 1,250. The experience is 1,500 and the senior is 2,000 rand. However, this is VAT included. And when this was promulgated in 2011, that was the rate. There's been no inflation adjustment to this. So a lot of the practitioners – are using the Act section one hundred forty three to to discuss with the the creditors whether they could get an inflation increased rate. Now a lot of people say what? Who's gonna pay for this? We don't even have money. Okay, again, I can say how we work. We don't go in there and say, listen, how am I gonna get my how am I gonna get as much fees out of this and how, how can I get fees first? We normally say to ourselves, okay, we won't won't take any fees until salaries have been paid. Because how could we go home knowing that the employees haven't got paid and at least you made your fees? So we, from an internal point of view, we never take fees if the employees haven't been paid. Point one, if you know that, that you don't do that, you've got to choose the business that you want to save very carefully, that you could turn around uh, up to six months then the business will generate the profit so that you can earn your money so in a way we are saving we are uh, saving our own fees by making sure we save the business or another way that's been becoming more popular is to say all right I'll go to market I'll, I'll try and raise money by selling a part of your business. And part of the fee that we raise, we'll we'll pay ourselves with regards to the fee, the um, outstanding fees and time that we've spent. That's it's becoming more more of a popular uh, methodology because we understand the business doesn't have the money. Before you get into a situation that you're really struggling and you do need a BRP, it's best to do a turnaround process because that's cheaper. But let's just talk about what is expensive. You know what's really expensive? Expensive is when you leave it too late and the practitioner has no option but to sell your shares or a majority of your shareholding to someone to raise money. So you know we go we would go to Kathy and say, Kathy, we need to raise money for this business, but it's very late. And all the venture capital people, and it's i I understand why they do this, they won't take less than fifty one percent of majority control, because they want to control the funding. So the later you come, the more shares you lose. And a lot of people don't understand that point, is that come earlier, then you can raise money from your business and give up less control. The later you come, we're going to have to use your shares to raise money, and then you're going to lose your control.
0: I'm a young business owner. I know I have built an asset of value, but perhaps I did not get the fundamentals right when I set up my processes and my system. And what do I get ready? Who do I start engaging? And what do I need to begin to open myself to mentally, physiologically in terms of my own listening and my ears and also the outcomes of this process?
1: Let's start with the, the cheap resources. The cheap resources is the person in your circle whom you trust if you are accountable to them and you get rid of your own pride pride is a killer if you keep up with the Joneses, as you want to make as if everything is fantastic meanwhile you're dying inside um, you need to get past that point If you can go past that point there's that's uh, the, the battle is almost almost uh, half won Someone in your in your close circle whom you trust. If you can speak to them and say to them, "Listen, this is where, where I'm at. This is where I'm where I think I'm, uh, uh, I need to do." Because you need to try and give solutions yourself. Because a lot of the times, the owners do know the solutions. They just don't want to do it, and that means they need to have accountability. If you don't have that circle of friends that will give you cheap services, you need to now go and see. Uh, a business rescue practitioner for an evaluation. Uh, the v- advantage is that he doesn't know your social friends, so he won't go and tell your daughter dirty laundry to them. Uh, he's got to keep it confidential. And you have to be truthful to him. You can't you can't keep back information. He will find out. There's no way. The, the BRP will find out. But they, if they're professional at what they do, they will understand that and work around that. Say, for instance, there has been a case of fraud or embezzlement. Those things can be handled uh, sensitively because if you leave it too late, there's going to be a massive, it's a massive blowout. For instance, the TMA is a very good resource also to link yourself up with the right, um, with the right practitioner, with a certain skill set, engineering, the depends which industry you're at. And also, when a practitioner comes in, the directors or the powers are handed over to the business rescue practitioner. Because of that fact, you need to be comfortable with the business rescue practitioner beforehand. So go and see two or three practitioners, see who you who you can create a trust relationship with, and who might have your best interest at heart. The thing is, the business rescue practitioner is not a popular person when he starts business rescue. He, you know, half the times in social circles or wherever, I. I try not to tell people I'm a business rescue practitioner in case they've been a creditor at one of my rescues and want to beat me up, because um, there are bodies, there are casualties, and you 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 can't be all things to all people. The rescue person is going to take those sh- those shots for you and is going to take those hits for you, because the creditors will not phone you anymore; they'll phone him. So you you have to buddy up, and you're going to go through a process together, and you need to kind of trust. There has to be trust.
0: Devon, any closing nuggets that you want to leave with our audience um, today?
1: I think um, one thing that our public should know, you know, CIPC released uh, stats um, earlier this week. And just looking at the month of April, May, June, July, four months, everyone thinks COVID has created this massive thing about all these business rescues. People are going into business rescue. The stats are similar in all the years. So there there isn't a big uptake. The other comment is that there could be an an uptake when it comes closer to December when bonuses have to be paid and the reserves are gone. It could be that the business rescue industry is going to pick up a lot closer to December. But our South African entrepreneurs are very, very, very much under pressure. And we have to, the banks and and all in society need to start – appreciating them more. Every job that is retained conservatively, your business is valued at $250,000 per person. If you think about the, your business like that, you have a different view.
0: Thank you for joining us on f Business Talks. If you're enjoying our interviews, please subscribe to our channel. FNB is a division of First Rand Bank Limited, an authorized financial services and credit provider. C's and C's apply.